0: Welcome to Tim Goodman's TV Talk Machine podcast and another in our ongoing interviews with creative people in the television industry. When the Can Burns film Baseball came out in 1994, the chapters of history were billed as innings. The ninth inning of that Emmy-winning documentary, seen by more than 43 million viewers, which made it the most-watched program in PBS history, ended on an upbeat note of the early 1990s. But when it aired in 1994, Major League Baseball was in the middle of a prolonged, devastating strike that canceled the World Series and alienated fans. Now 16 years later, filmmakers Ken Burns and Lynn Novick are back with The Tenth Inning, a four-hour, two-part documentary that airs September 28th and 29th on PBS. The Tenth Inning picks up at the strike, rolls into the rebounding of two storied franchises, the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox discusses the influx of foreign players, and spends considerable time on the steroid era, the ongoing taint of baseball. It's a story that lands, not surprisingly, in San Francisco with Balco, Barry Bonds, and the Giants. In this celebrity podcast edition of the TV Talk Machine, I chat with Burns and Novick about the film, the scandals, and the staying power of our national pastime. Okay, I'm here with uh, filmmakers Ken Burns and Lynn Novick, who did the sort of seminal work Baseball, which ended in uh, 1994, or premiered in 1994 uh, on on PBS. Uh, and now you guys are back with, I believe, the
1: first add-on to any films you've done. Is that correct? Yeah. Ever, ever, and so surprising. The last bit of action we described was the 92 World Series. Right. And then the film came out in 94, which was strike-shortened, mm-hmm. as they like to say. Right. And then everything... From that moment actually from ninety two has been so interesting right. uh, in this game that we just were literally like a siren call, you know, brought back to it.
0: Right. And as and as time went on, I mean you can tell from <clears throat> this current one, the tenth inning, uh, is that there was so much, and as a filmmaker, I know that you—it's—it's—you it's, it's, you, you don't always want to revisit, but sometimes there must be, like you said, the siren call. So you have the strike-shortened season. You have—I uh, uh, hate to say this—but your favorite teams. Uh, Lynn is a is a, uh, a die-hard Yankees fan, and Ken is a die-hard uh, Red Sox fan. The big surges in the times when uh, right. after baseball had ended, uh, obviously a lot of history for both teams. Um, you had influx of uh, a lot more uh, foreign players, uh, Japanese and uh, uh, Latino players. So the Asian and Latino players came in. And then, of course, we hit still the hot-button issue in, in baseball, which is uh, the steroid era. And the steroid era plays a pretty big part here in San Francisco. So as a Giants and, fan, and the, tough. and the
1: through line of our film is the biography, the arc of Barry Bond's life and career. And deservedly so, because he's the greatest player of the last few decades, but also the one most... Uh, caught up in the steroid uh, you know the, he he is the poster boy for the steroids era
0: right now I, I was interested in t- to your take you know, for both of you when when baseball the original baseball the first nine innings ended um, you know it, there was so much history to it and the game has so much to talk about right if you're a baseball fan which you both are you can talk about baseball forever right. when it it ended on what, what kind of note would you say the ninth inning ended on
2: well, the film ended on, I think, a very upbeat note that mm-hmm. the sense of just baseball will always be here, and it's going to be this talisman that people will return to, and it'll always be reinventing itself and be sort of embedded in the American experience, always has been, or not always, but since the early 19th century, and hopefully always would be, and there was this sort of very positive feeling, and then it was very bittersweet for us to have it come out on air when there was no baseball on television because of this awful strike that it was sort of... Really the culmination of labor problems that had started really in the 19th century right? with the owners thinking that they could control the game and players gradually assuming, you know, more and more power and the owners resenting it to this sort of cataclysm, this titanic battle that no one knew what was going to happen. I mean, it really felt like the end of something to a lot of fans. There was such tremendous anger and frustration and people just saying a pox on both their houses. I don't care about baseball. I never want to see another game. I don't these people are greedy. They don't represent me. It was a really awful time in the history of the game. And yet, when we were going around showing our film and people were responding to it, it also reminded them of why they loved the game and gave them something to kind of hold on to in this awful moment. And it gave them some context for why this was happening. It didn't come out of nowhere. This has been a long time building. And so the film kind of actually played a part in our public understanding of the game in a way that we never could have imagined when we started in 1990. You know, it was just not on our radar at all. So it was both sad and gratifying in a weird way that the film was on at this awful time. And then it's really endured over the years, too, which has been very gratifying to see that, you know, many people have watched it with their kids and now right. their kids have grown up to be baseball fans. And it's sort of bind, bound families together over the last 15 years in a really right. powerful way that, again, we really weren't thinking about. We're just trying to get the story of baseball down on film as best as we could. Right. And it's had this incredible life. So it's been really gratifying to see.
0: And and the film fell into – we're going to start on the 10th inning, but it's important to remember that the film fell in this period where – it took on a greater impact because – and as Ken, you said when we met all the critics recently that you were the only baseball
1: on. Yeah, it was – this was um, late September. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball had stopped in mid-August. Right. Uh, it had already been declared there would be no postseason. We were sort of out there as if you know we were an Apollo flight that suddenly lost contact with the, the earth <laughs> and right. that the only – Human thing that you do in September and October is watch baseball. Right. Isn't that the case? And then we were the only baseball on. And I think Lynn's right. It it sort of helped to soften and mitigate the anger, and at the same time, it gave the context for what had happened every single one of our episodes. I mean, they, they. it's so funny people look at this 10th inning and say, oh, it's very dark because you're dealing with steroids and strike. That must be different. And we go no, we're dealing with strikes and we're dealing with cocaine and we're right. dealing with alcohol and we're dealing with the absence of African-Americans right. and Jim Crow and all of that from the very, very beginning. This game is at once this sort of perfect idealist rec- representation of us, but it's also, as Tom Boswell says ever-changing so it reflects us good and bad and we felt compelled in the original series to sweep up all of that stuff in it and and reflect it back and we feel ultimately positive as we do in this update that that there is a resiliency to this game that nothing not even steroids and strikes seem able to kill and that's in some ways the good news out of what has been a relatively difficult i won't say dark but difficult passage for the game as as well as the country as a whole
0: yeah, the thing that I, and and I, and I do get that, but I, I have to say that watching it, you know, it, right and then right here we are, and, right. and especially in San Francisco, we're we're the post Bonds era. We're back in a in a in a, a pennant race. Yep. Uh, there's so much excitement. We're in that ballpark, but at the same time, it's just I, I just
1: felt down Let and we, hurt. Can, can I just way. help you with a few yeah. things yeah. that I try to do? This is my therapeutic edition. <laughs> I'm a director, producer, co-writer, <laughs> but I'm also a therapist. Um it, it feels like when you're in the middle of it that it's horrible, that this is the worst thing that's ever happened to baseball. And it may, in fact, be the worst thing that's ever happened to baseball. But baseball's made it through. Uh, one could imagine how in San Francisco there was that initial defense. Right. He's our guy. He can't possibly be. Why is everybody picking on him? Why don't you pick? Everybody else is doing it. Why is he the center of it? But once he's gone, then you, you also say, boy, this is a really bad period. And all of a sudden you're also rejecting somebody who is so, so central to your identity as fans for so many years and such a great player. Right. Before he drank the Kool-Aid Hall of Fame, first ballot, first nanosecond of eligibility. So it's a very complicated stuff. But it's in the rearview mirror that most of the steroids are. There are always going to be cheaters and always going to be problems. And we're now talking about testing for HGH and blood is different from urine and all that sort of stuff. But there weren't that many. There was no elevation of 300 hitters. Nobody hit 406, as Ted Williams did in '41. Nobody had a 56-game hitting streak. No pitcher won 40 games, which would have been the the statistical equivalent of winning. You know, hitting 73 home runs. It uh, uh, lengthened pitchers' careers, obviously. Roger Clemens continuing and continuing and continuing, and it certainly made the ball go farther. But all of the sacred stuff of the game, besides that home run stuff has remained the same in that fifty home run season, which was a rarity before. Right, uh, is now a rarity again. And right. so you can sort of take comfort that you've sort of passed through it was a difficult time as families have, and the family of baseball's sort of weathered it. And and I would say just look at your own team. I mean right. just two words. Tim Lincecum. I mean yeah. then, I mean you just go, my God, this yeah. is such a great, great revelation, you right. know, and he's gonna win some and he's gonna lose some, but you know, he seems to have been born post uh this yeah. this this whole terrible ordeal and we're doing okay and the game's never better and more profitable everybody's watching and and I think we just have to do as Lynn and I have tried to do is tell stories to ourselves. Right. Ha, you know, this is we now have the in television this Homeric campfire, right. glowing in our living rooms, <laughs> that or maybe in the palms right. of our hands, right. and we tell our stories. And and even though baseball statistics mean something, you still have to continue to tell stories about what happens. And and we felt that rather than make it so easy, I love him, I hate him go back and delve into the complicated psychobiography, and that deals with Bobby as well as Barry Bonds. Talk about, you know, from whence he came, and all of the aspects of it. And I I think in the end, if you can just provide a little distance, uh, he he seems better. Right. And we all can feel better about the game, because it has endured this stuff. Right. And we've gotten through.
2: I think if you look at the long view, really the Black Sox scandal Mm -hmm. is exponentially worse for baseball than Pete, anything, anything that's happened. And Pete Rose, but he was just one guy. The right. Black Sox scandal, you had pervas- that revealed pervasive gambling. People were throwing losing games on purpose. Right. The whole integrity of the sport, whether the players are actually trying to win or not, I mean, how could you go to a game at that point and believe what you're seeing on the field? Right. There was no integrity. And it wasn't just that one team in that one series. It was pervasive throughout the game. And that really almost destroyed baseball to a much greater degree than anything that's happened In the last 20 years. So it's, you know, these things will come up again and again because of human nature. Um, But the game will weather them. It just seems to be inevitable that it will. And I think we can allow ourselves to sort of have a more grown-up relationship to the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, people bond with baseball when they're seven, eight years old. These are your heroes. The guys you saw play when you were 7 and 8 are the best people you've ever seen play, (laughs) for the most part. They're so much bigger than you Uh could ever be, right? They're never as good as the guys you see today, no matter what. And that's great because that is sort of the the nature of the bond with the game, and you never want to lose that. But, you know, okay, so if you're older now, you can kind of look at it as more of an adult and say, yeah, these are human beings. They live in the real world. They're thinking about their, you know, future, and they're thinking about, well, the guy over there might be doing something, and how am I going to keep my job? And it's it's complicated, and that's okay. That's sort of, I don't know. I I think that adds depth to it in a way, and right. it doesn't take away from the game.
0: Yeah, I, I and I agree totally with that, and I think that there's a cathartic thing about the game being bigger than the individual, and it's being it's right. bigger than the scandal, and the whole baseball will out idea yeah. is is really. It's, it, it's heartwarming i and and normally we don't approach anything certainly i don't when i write about it as from from a from a like a regional trend we, we consider ourselves right. a national right. and we cover national things right. but there is something about bonds we had we had like possibly the greatest one of the greatest players that ever played oh, the
1: game without it, let's just right. say one of the greatest players that ever played the game arguably the greatest player that ever played the game and most definitely the greatest player of the last 30 years. And you had him here. He was fantastic while you were here. Right. And you didn't win a World Series and yeah. you got Russ Ortiz right. and, and that whole oh, business. A and nightmare. Right? That, yes. that nightmare. So, But it's not unlike what a Cub fan can describe, what a Red Sox fan can describe, what the Brooklyn Dodger fans of the old days could describe. Right. Uh, you know, And then we'll see. Right. I, and, and I think that in just Barry's case, because this seems
0: personal for I think Giants fans, is that and, and and I think the 10th inning really kind of strikes this in a way that if you just read the newspaper accounts and if you're a fan through the years, it all kind of goes gray. In the film, it's very clear he didn't have to do it. No, and, and it's that personal quirk inside of him that yeah. he, he that he felt like he was never even back in Pittsburgh that but, he was never recognized, know, and he was just seethed that he was better than everybody. Right. And he wasn't getting the recognition. Well,
2: we have um, our colleague Dave McMahon, who wrote the film with us and produced it, found this great piece of footage of his father, Bobby Bonds, being interviewed in the clubhouse, talking about his son. And he says he has to be the best. It's just something inside him; he has to be the best. And he's sort of saying he should let up a little bit, you know? What's his problem? And he's saying it with admiration, but he's also saying he has this thing
1: and saying understanding that his personality also driven by it. Like he he won't talk to me, right? Right. He's just right. He's not an easy
2: guy to be around. But then you think, well, what does it take to be the best? I mean, what do you give up? And what are the human qualities that drive someone who who has that? They're not going to necessarily be the nicest guy in the world. And maybe you shouldn't care because they're the best. You, You got to see someone who was the best at what he did for that time. That's a privilege that many people will never have. That's you know, you've got to be grateful to for it. that. You have to yeah. do
1: it. And think about the terms that are described just in the way we were sort of raking in the leaves of all the things that we have to do to make this film. You hear the word Icarus. You hear Shakespearean. You hear tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Ares. This is the great arrogance of the warrior that 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 uh, that bonds is you know and the decision where he has he has so much better chops not just than Andy Van Slyke which is going to propel him (laughs) out of the Pittsburgh Pirates fortunately to the Bay but he's got so much better chops than McGuire and Sammy in 98 that he has to make that Faustian bargain because this this is a bargain that every baseball player is making with themselves at some point they're looking on their team they know people who are doing it they May know people are not doing it. They may not want to do it, but if it's the difference between staying or, or fall uh, and or or falling back, right? You're going to do it. I mean, as right. Chris Rock ridicules me right. on camera, you know, <laughs> right. you'd take a pill if you could be paid like Steven Spielberg. All of us are faced in in particularly a pharmacologically disposed culture right. to to make these kinds of choices. So I think what you need to do is it was so funny because we assumed coming. To San Francisco being the bearers of this complicated story that, that there would be more admiration for Barry than we found. Uh, but, but I think that since he was released after the 2007 season, it, it, there was a kind of relief to say, oh, finally, then we don't have to like him anymore because he's no longer ours. Right. And the black-and-white binary right. response that we're always susceptible to, not just in sports but in politics and life and everything else, obtains... But we want to try to come back and bring a much more complicated Barry Bonds, who I think in the end you can still admire mm-hmm. and respect and have admiration for, but understand, you know, as Lynn said, what is the bargain, not just that Barry made, but all that the fa- all the fans did, to see the greatest ever. And not right. just him, but all the others, the Clemenses. Right. And remember, in the middle of that 98 home run season, when um, you know Steve Wilstein finds the Andro in Mark McGuire's locker, I mean, he's not searching for it. It's right. open. It's just open there. Um, <laughs> That we all kind of went, w- like the kids, da-da-da-da, you know, yeah. plugging there is and not wanting to hear it. And we m- killed the messenger and just blithely went on because we wanted to see more home runs. Yeah. What would have happened then? What if they'd blown the lid on it and exposed it? Then at the end of the year, somebody would have written, and you know what? While all of this incredible fraudulence was going on, Barry Bonds, the greatest player who's ever played a game, hit his 400th home run and stole his 400th base, right. and we ignored this, and we should elevate him to the status and we're testing now, and nobody's going to get caught. And then Barry, would we would think that Barry was Babe Ruth or Willie Mays or whatever rolled and into hey, one. And, right. hey, people
2: love home runs.
1: Yeah, it's like a long bike. You know, I mean, there's, like, say, there's just no getting the around ball. that.
2: Take, take yeah, and baseball's not stupid. Right. The, I mean, the one thing you can say about baseball in the last 15 years since the strike, they've learned how to run their business really, really well. That's and true. And they get it. And this is what people wanted. So they're, you know... Everyone was complicit. Major League Baseball, the Players Association, the players, the fans, the writers, everybody
1: bought into it. Bought into it because it
2: was fun and people liked it. So you kind of, you know, there wasn't any testing. There was a rule that wasn't enforced when he was doing this. Right. And he saw everybody else, or many, to his perspective, probably many, many other players doing the same thing and getting a lot more recognition than him. You know, We just tried to humanize him, if possible, because he has become such a cardboard villain right. to people, certainly outside San Francisco. There's a lot more there. We tried to interview him. He obviously couldn't do it because of his legal situation. Right. But um, he, we found him utter, utterly fascinating as a human being, as well as, obviously, this extraordinary athlete. And, and talking to Felipe Alou, who we interviewed Describing Bonds' ability, just yeah. pure ability as a baseball player, you know the the respect with which the players around him and the managers oh, yeah. and old baseball people they see things that your ordinary fan doesn't really get to see. The right. way he was focused and the way he prepared and what he put into it and the workouts, obviously, which perhaps steroids help you work out more, but still you have to do them. Right. You know, there's there's a lot of layers to this.
0: Yeah, it, it, it humanized him as, as as well as it could, and and in our and right. it, it's funny because in our case. We we were complicit. We loved it. There yes. was nothing like
1: being in that ballpark when he turned on a well a Marcus pitch. Be- yeah. Breton said, you know, we, we knew his reputation, right. but we didn't care. We didn't care. Mm-hmm. You know, we, because you, he was going to right. bring something. He would made baseball exciting in right. San Francisco. He was fantastic, and these are all of the things that we pay for in our lives. You right. know, we have all the conveniences right. of our digital devices, and yet we also know their terrible pen, penalty: the lack of concentration, the inability to relate. Everybody at the table around the family <laughs> right. table, they're not talking about the latest political stuff. They're just, you know, <laughs> right. They're texting. And, they're and look, you know, baseball. it's
2: not just bonds in San Francisco. Right. Every team Team.
1: Right. Every team. I has mean, a Manny
2: Ramirez in Boston. You're going right. to have every team, you know, what's his name? Giambi. Right. What's his name? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in New York. Well, he has faded. Hasn't yes. He? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like these are unique. It's just bonds looms large. He came and so up he's... last
1: night. Giambi came up last night with a chance to win the game for the Colorado Rockies and hit a, a screaming line drive caught, uh, you know, at the at the shoestrings by the first baseman. Uh, which would wow. have if it had been right. a foot off probably driven in the tying run
2: but look the Yankees signed him knowing they had a clause in his contract that he wasn't going to you know if anything happened he that he wouldn't be punished right. if anything was revealed so I mean they were eyes wide open but they wanted someone to get a lot of home runs that's right. where the game was going so you know it's it bonds becomes the symbol and you know Fair or unfair, he's the, he was the best player, so he's going to be the symbol, and he sort of relished it. So you it, you know,
0: you know the, the park is that's the house that Barry built. You bet. You know, that's we we're living in it, we sit in it, and and, and they built it for and, him. You
2: know, unusually, it was built with private money. I mean, that's yeah, an amazing right. thing. San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, most exactly. of the other parks in Yankee Stadium, we paid, we New Yorkers paid millions, if not billions, of dollars for that stadium. Right. I think you should be very grateful that Barry Bonds built that park for you. And you don't yeah. Have to I pay still, tax I dollars have, for I it. And Peter McGowan also. has
1: a big part oh, to play yes, in this. I mean, absolutely. he's he's one of the great. He, he, we'll now look back, and San Francisco citizens can thank <laughs> thank their lucky stars at Peter McGowan that they aren't paying an extra fifty dollars right. a year because right. they're, you're floating some bonds on, or that they're not, in, you know, they're in Florida. Or right. not in right. Florida, more than that, because yeah. Lurie was going to send him there.
0: Now, the thing that struck me that I wanted to ask you guys after seeing this is that uh, it's all said and done, and we get into other – it's not just steroids. We get into these other uh, elements, obviously. and up, Many, up, many. Right. Please, many this months, yeah, please. This is a joyous celebration of
1: baseball. We have Atlanta pitchers. We have yeah. Joe Torre taming the Bronx Zoo. We have the you know going to the Dominican Republic, Two, uh, you know, 2001 and the way baseball brought it back. Uh, you know, Ichiro, Ichiro uh-huh. you know. Great, great, and and the last chapter is really a celebration of of the game emerging uh, out of the shadows of the steroids into this great game in which your own Tim Lincecum is is featured with the hair yeah. streaming yeah. out underneath the cap, yeah, but, isn't it? Uh, yeah. looking
0: like he's all of twelve years old. He's exactly, right? Yeah. Kind of like Ken, you are. Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, it's the I, I don't throw as hard
0: as he does. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you did, yeah. <clears throat> well, the, the, just to sort of wrap up this <clears throat> steroids era because I, part of the film i think will make people like oh wow it was just there's so much taint there and what do we do with these things now i just want to get a sense from you too what what do, how do we how do we his, in history look at the era and how do we judge those players
2: wow it's a great question and it's one we'll be talking about for i'm sure my entire lifetime and my children's lifetime i don't think there's an easy answer to that unfortunately we've talked to sports writers we've talked to people in the game as you know filmmakers and sort of outsiders looking in I guess I feel like you have to sort of uh, be realistic about it. You know, there weren't rules. And you can blame the people who didn't impose rules. And that's the Players Union, Players Association, and MLB, and the players who were powerful at that time. So all of them take a lot of blame for why there weren't rules. If there weren't rules, though, these guys were going to do what they're going to do. So in in the reality of that, I think you sort of try to admire what they did in that context. There still are people who rise to the top. And it's not all because of drugs. There are people who work hard and are really good at what they do. And I think you still have to admire them. And the Hall of Fame, I'm glad I don't have a vote, honestly. And I think the sports writers, some of whom cheered on these uh, steroid-fueled contests are now struggling a lot with, you know, what to do about that. And luckily right. they have that built-in five-year period right. to decide from when someone retires because right away in that moment they might be very judgmental, and as more time passes and maybe mm-hmm. more information comes out about what was really going on and who was and wasn't using, it'll sort of settle out. Um, but I sort of think, I wish they could sort of in the Hall of Fame, which is what everybody cares about, you know, induct the people who deserve it on the, on the numbers, but on their plaque say, of course, this was done during the era when there were no rules or there was no enforcement of, of drug testing policy, so you have to take it with a grain of salt or something, like some what acknowledgement Lynn, Lynn of that.
1: Is, what Lynn is suggesting is a form of an asterisk, right. which I'm not sure I believe in. Right. And, and so my solution is a little bit simpler than that, which is, Though baseball statistics mean stuff the right. way they don't in other sports, that is to say over time, you still have to tell a story. Right. So if you look up the 1919 World Series, it says the Cincinnati Red Stockings won. Well, we know, as Lynn was pointing out, this is this huge scandal with the, with the Black Sox and we have to tell that story. That's part of what comes along with these numbers. So I think – that rather than maybe codify it within the plaques on the Hall of Fame wall, what we do is we continue to tell stories. And we are certainly not going to be – we're not the first and we won't be the last to do no. it. But but this wrestling over this decision, as we tour the country, it's so interesting. You meet the sports writers. And then some of them are saying, look, uh, you know, I'm voting for all of these people, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, because we don't know who else. Right? We think there are people that are getting in now – that could be, yeah. have, have been serogen, but they've just not been identified through the luck of the draw. Right. And as Costas says in the film, you know, the Mitchell report is good. It says that it was pervasive and widespread and there were these pe- pe- people and he doesn't think they were unfairly singled out, but there could have been hundreds. It, somebody said there was Thousands. a thousand yeah, other was, people that could have been labeled. So when random. the next time you right. see somebody go through, you just don't know. So maybe, maybe you don't put an asterisk, but you color code the plaques. There's something, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, right. The threat level of orange. I guess I
2: feel like the Hall of Fame is such a shrine, you know, right. and, you know, they were very late to say in, uh, bring in Negro League players right. who had, you know, done so much and it took Ted Williams really chiding them, why isn't Satchel Paige in here? And they sort of eventually reluctantly went around to that. I don't necessarily feel I have total confidence the Hall of Fame isn't going to want to step up to the plate to use a horrible baseball metaphor to really explain this and contextualize it. I, I think they should. If they, they don't have to put it on the plaque, but they need to have something in there that tells the story. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully they will get there. I think it's, getting, it's a thing. I'm tricky getting excited thing. about
1: this color coding business. Because <laughs> then you could do the whole era of Babe Ruth when they didn't have well, to face right. a Satchel page. Right. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, exactly. and then maybe the next is green from the greenies they were taking. <laughs> yeah, we exactly. a lot of greenies. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. And then it's junk on the ball and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that.
2: Well, right. And, and the, yeah, there's cheaters. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's been cheaters every, Ford, Right. As we say in our film, Yeah. you know, he proudly afterwards admitted having, you know, doctored the ball all kinds of ways. Yeah. And he's. You know, viewed as one of the greatest pitchers of all time. So right. It's,
1: it's, it's all of that no is, is such a gray area. And, and now I, Bobby Thompson just passed away. And right. we now know that the Giants were stealing the uh, signals. And so we, we were assuming uh, that he knew exactly what kind of pitch was coming from Ralph Branca to right. hit, you know, the, the shot, shot heard, heard around the yeah. world. world. Yeah. I mean – what do you do with that? Do you right. go back and put an asterisk there, you know? <laughs> right. And yeah. all of a sudden this is this yeah. is something you don't want to unravel. Think, yeah. I mean, easier the, to hit a pitch when you know where a it's a whole be. lot right. easier. Yeah. Two-thirds of the battle. <laughs> I think
2: Barry Bonds would probably say three quarters of the battle. Yeah. I mean I think the great thing about this, and it really speaks to why we made the film, is that it's an opportunity to have a discussion yeah. about ethics, about morality, about what matters in life, about corners cutting and what the costs are and thinking long term versus short term, all these things. You know, it it it's It's happening against the backdrop of this horrible economic situation that we're in where you find some of the same things that were happening in baseball metaphorically going on in other parts of our society, in politics and in business. It's not an accident. And and that's included. The the housing market is on steroids. Right, exactly. Uh
1: Lynn's absolutely right. And that is the purpose of story. Story just doesn't exist in and of itself. Story becomes a way to organize the chaotic events of life. Right. And we we put a frame around it if we're painters or photographers or filmmakers. We write stories about it if we're reporters or novelists or whatever. But, But it is is the purpose of story to communicate these complicated ethical and moral and psychological uh, dimensions right. uh, to, to things? And boy, does this story have it all? And I don't mean the story of steroids; I mean the baseball. whole era. Yeah, yeah. it's and, and it and it's a it's a continuing
0: story, which is the great thing about baseball. Yeah. Yeah, That's exactly. the through line of baseball that the story is, is ongoing and it will always be told. Uh, and we might have the Hall of Fame get to the point where, you know, guys will say, you know what, okay, maybe Maguire doesn't get in, Palmiero doesn't get in. Obviously Canseco's yep. not gonna get in, he wasn't gonna yep. make it anyway. Bonds is gonna make it. Oh, he's he going to make the it. He was a Hall of Famer before like. he hit the Jews. Absolutely,
1: yeah. and and Clemens too. And right. we might have the prospect of somebody in the Hall of Fame and, and in jail, right? Because it looks like the case against Clemens is a little bit tighter than it is against Barry.
0: Yeah, and I, I do want to touch on this part with from uh, uh to sort of end up the bad part of baseball. <laughs> but when we were in L.A., you had one of the you know, and here we are in the uh, here we are in the Twitter age where everything you say is instantaneous. Yes, class. right. You had one of the right. great quotes, I think, <laughs> about Pedros, the- <laughs> and I was like all over that, and I was <laughs> and it got. I think you retweeted huge, everywhere. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was everywhere. It was really,
1: it, it really brought, you know, I'm a luddite, and I, you know, <laughs> right. I would never go near Facebook or right. do any of this tweet, Twitter, whatever it is, because you know we're working too much, and right. you know we got our heads to the grind. Enough so but, but yeah. the but it is it. What I'd said was that in this Pete Rose Pete conundrum, Rose, right. which is in some ways a much bigger conundrum than the Barry Bonds et cetera et right. al. Mm-hmm. Um, conundrum which is that you know he should be let in after he dies because he's so arrogant he did the cardinal sin as lynn said uh... of of betting on baseball uh... just like those black socks and he's been Essentially unrepentant about it and maintain the same sort of level of arrogance that I, I mean, he should just be denied the satisfaction. I, I don't even want to perpetuate it too much because then he'll know, well, at least when I die, I'll be right. It. Right, right. No. You don't no. want to repeat no. the he quote so know. much, yeah. but, no. But, no. but we right, have but
0: but he, to do so. It was a classic, you, uh, <laughs> be, uh, right.
1: And yeah. it's not mine. I mean, this is this is uh, this has been floating around right. in the ether. This right. was not some new light bulb going off in me. I mean, this has been conversations just like when Barry was approaching the sure. thing, there were many people saying, Look, the thing should do is just get up to, to uh, 754 and, and retire. Right. And then he would be the hero uh, uh, for all. We Like Armando Galarraga and the um, right. we would look at Barry Bonds as <laughs> right. the Cincinnatus, the George yeah. Washington of the game. Yeah. This that was not in happen. Barry Bonds' no. nature.
0: No. And then <laughs> and the that, whole Hank Aaron thing after right. that. Oh, it's yeah. just, it on, it's ongoing.
2: It's ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not saying A-Rod should stop playing. I mean, it's interesting right. how we've sort of evolved. You know, I think it's it was in that moment. That that was the the idea about bonds, but no one's gonna say it to anyone else you should quit playing before you have a chance to break the monumental record of baseball. It just isn't gonna work. That there,
0: right. uh, yeah, and again, not to continue to beat this. But there was almost like a <laughs> postmodern approach to Gonzalez, yes. which was okay, you did it, but yeah, everybody's doing it. So well, keep well, it's playing. funny,
1: there's there there is this strange intersection with the Hall of Fame because of the writers and the subjectivity of that, in which you know, things like contrition. Andy Pettit showed contrition. Right. right. Uh, a Rod, uh-huh. I thought was politically correct. He he acknowledged it, but it was so convenient, despite Selena Roberts' excellent book on A Rod's career, which has him juicing since high school, right. through into the Yankees, <laughs> he nonetheless would select when he played on the last place Texas Rangers <laughs> right. to say that's when I was doing it, you know. And that even Maguire coming clean says, Well I only did it to when recover was, from injuries right. oh, oh, when it, in And fact, he said
2: it didn't help him play better. It didn't help him play
1: when in fact so. it's the steroid the use that was putting him on the DL because that yeah. was one of the hallmarks of that. So it's yeah. just a
2: non-apology apology. We're familiar with that with our politicians as yeah, well. So no,
1: exactly. it just looks it's exactly like stuff we yeah. Yeah. know in our media culture and in right. our political life. And,
0: and I think that will get judged out as, as we go. Yes, and, it uh, will. But I, and, but, and related on this, but on a positive note, I wanted to get your thoughts on players. You know, what do uh, – if we, I'm not saying we're going to whitewash the steroids era. It'll, it'll, it'll come out the way it comes out. History will write that story. But what about people who, like uh, Ken Griffey, who mm-hmm. plays a big part in this? Right. And I don't think Ken Griffey was ever named in any steroid nope. thing. No, never. So you got Ken Griffey, one of the greatest, sweetest swings in all yep, of baseball. And then yeah. you got a guy. Uh, you know, y- y- you wonder how how are the Chipper Jones in uh, yeah, a, a guy who played arguably the purest. Baseball player as far as like tough guts going yeah. out there. Or Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. Exactly.
1: Three yeah. perfect Rivera. examples of what about the We will those never, guys? Know we'll sure, never know for sure. Which is right. one of the sadnesses of right. this thing, whether they're clean. We we hope in our hearts of hearts would say more about us than it does about them. Yes. Uh Ken Griffey is the cover of our updated book. Right. And then on the DVD of the tenth inning, because to us he seems to us to be that essential, unchanging, pure thing that we love. And we don't know. We right. just don't don't know. And that's the thing. And as I said, each year when people come up and they get in, you know, it's unfortunate for Barry that he will carry this around. And he has had to shoulder more of this right. than any other human being, right. with the possible exception of Roger Clemens, who seems so at least uh, <laughs> oblivious, from, oblivious. Reality. Right? Yeah. from reality yeah. that, uh-huh. that, yeah. that, he, that he can't sort of even own it. Barry has at least the shoulders, as right. he said, the broad shoulders, to sort of carry some of this stuff. But, you know, when each person goes in, we just are not going to know and they're going to be people that were juicing as much as barry bonds who are going to get in and we're going to go wow it's so exciting how <laughs> right. great it is and didn't he right. give a great speech at cooperstown or and then they're
2: going to be people who didn't who didn't get in because they don't have the numbers yeah right. because their career was cut short by injuries and they didn't juice and so right. they don't have the numbers to compare with the people who did juice and right. got away with it so you know baseball has put itself in a bit of a mess over this era and there's just it is a mess it doesn't have as george will says in the film you know uh, what does he say? There's something. There's problems, and then there's messes. This is a yeah. mess. Right. It's just a mess. It's just a mess. And, and life it'll... is like that sometimes. Right. You know. And that's what's yeah. so
1: great about this game.
0: And it? I think that the tenth inning is as it moves into that in that final. It's a two part. It's four hours, two parts. And when you get and for you and for you guys, it's like like a what a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, but as you get into the to the tail end of it, I, I there there is redemption because there's always redemption in there's baseball. There's always rebirth, the redemption.
1: Yeah. It's resilience. The game wills out right. what happens between the chalk lines is still proves what a great game it is. Yeah. So different from any other sport played every day, not once a week or a couple times a week you know, begins in spring as life does, ends in fall as as life does, um, you know, is the only one in which the defense has the ball, the only team sport <laughs> right. without a clock, where the person scores, all those great things. And it's great... A lesson, as we say in this film, as we understood and in, in, as we are struggling to put it together and so difficult, we just figured it would be two hours and it was almost yeah. instantaneously four and and we were struggling with how to, to and we've left out a lot of stuff, is that it teaches us about loss. This right. is hugely about loss and not just in the usual, you're a 300 hitter means you've failed seven times out of 10. It's in the fact that the best people are going to go up there and lose. The right. Pedro Martinezes will give up the tying runs right. to the Yankees to lose the you know the yeah. seventh game of the 2003 World Series. Yeah, there is a
0: lot of a tra- tragedy. I wonder. I wondered, and I know you've been asked this many times, and I, but I can't escape it because you are diametrically opposed on your teams. How was it working when you when you get you to know, the point where like, okay, yeah. here's our happy part. <laughs> Boy, our, one of the most story, two of the most storied right. franchises in baseball. Here comes the Yanks You're running <laughs> all the way back. And for a large part, running all over your Red Sox. Yep. Yeah. And then the Red Sox nation really strives up in one of the greatest comebacks in baseball history.
1: What do you mean, one of? It is the greatest. <laughs> yeah. right, it is the greatest comeback <laughs> well, in there baseball history.
2: In baseball history, other sports have had similarly a few moments but, but it, you know we had dismissed it's astonishing. we had dismissed the Yankees in the, in our last episode of the uh, original series saying that Steinbrenner had ruined the team basically right. that was several people said that in the interview and it felt that way at the time really felt like the Yankees were never going to come back because he was just who he was and he didn't get it and he just was throwing money at it and hiring the wrong people and you know all this bluster and drama it just the team was nowhere and yet miracle of miracles he was <laughs> exiled for a while for various things doing bad things hiring a <laughs> uh, right. scumbag to investigate his biggest star Dave Winfield and yeah. he was exiled from baseball for a while and they built this dynasty in his absence yeah. and that's a great story okay. and Joe Torre who I mean yeah. really honestly
1: nobody doesn't yeah. like everyone
2: yeah. Joe Torre is such a classy guy he's so smart he's so thoughtful he's so decent he's just so human that I think even people who hate the Yankees have admitted well you know I, I really kind of like Joe Torre and even that team of the 90s they, they just you didn't have a lot of sort of obnoxious guys who've just Thought they were better than everyone else. There was was just no they Billy or as or a team, right. Right. right? It was a great team to watch, and so yeah. we had fun. I think Ken would even admit he enjoyed yeah, no. watching them play, you know, and and making some great hopefully scenes out of I, it. I, so I it think was the fun. fandom
1: was secondary, and mm-hmm. that right. we just wanted to make tell a good story. Right. This is clearly a central story, as it had been all through the history. The Yankees right. are the dominant team. In right. fact, when we were planning the film, Lynn and I chose the Dodgers and the Red Sox, an American League and a National League team, right. to follow because we knew that the Yankees, the most dominant team in sports history, would always. I mean, be maybe there be there anyway, Celtics, right. you, know, right. but, you know, you've got. Yeah. They have so dominated the story from uh, at least you know 1920 on that they're going to be there, and we've done justice to them throughout. That it really didn't have a question of fandom. It was how do you tell the good story? How do you how do you tell the story of of Joe Torrey's taming of the Bronx Zoo? Just as how do you represent? that horrible moment in 2003 when Aaron Boone hits the home run, and then all of a sudden they're back, you know, the next year, at it again, and somehow overcoming this horrific de- deficit and and providing us all, forget about Red Sox right. fans, with some of the greatest drama. Yeah. And right. making that work right. for Lynn is as important as making the Tory sections work for me. I yeah. mean, the
2: best thing, you know, I think we're documentary filmmakers because it's much more fun to try to tell stories that really happened. Right. In My Wildest Dreams, you couldn't make that up.
0: Right, right. right. you couldn't. So you yeah. couldn't.
2: And you, no one would leave you. It would be, oh, that's a Hollywood ending. Forget it. That didn't happen. Right. And people would be saying, no way. But right. it actually did happen. And it's really... It was a lot of fun to try to tell it and, and to try to boil down the baseball scenes so that it felt like you're watching the game, but we've actually very carefully crafted um, the moment so that you collapse time in a yes. very uh, complex way. Right. So that whole, you know, four innings can go by with one line of narration, and yet one at bat could take, you know, two minutes, depending right. on what you're trying to do. So that was just a sort of filmmaking challenge, and our editor, huge. Craig Mellish, was extraordinarily unsung gifted hero. at yeah. making this happen. He's a huge Red Sox fan. So he, uh, You know, he he checked his passions at the door to some degree, as much as he could.
0: Well, I think what makes a lot of of the stories here work and the stories that worked in the original first nine innings were were great stories and and great people. And, you know, you have to credit uh, Mike Barnacle. I mean, it just to be able – he was a great choice because he, you know, lifelong – Red Sox Sox fan and But he's a lifelong fan, so that's Mm -hmm. what it is.
1: So even if you hate the Red Sox, you can appreciate what that is of the love of of a team. And he understood that his love of the team was like other people's love of the team. So he made it universal and becomes the emotional center of gravity of the bottom of the 10th, just as I think in some ways Marcus Breton, as, as a Hispanic and a lifelong Giants fan, uh, was that for the the first half at right. the top of the tenth? Because it, he he is the amenuensis. He's your guide. He's he helps you understand what it is, just as Barnacle takes over in the second half. And and you can really live through their love. And right. that's that's a great that's a great thing. It's hard yeah. to get
0: past that image of, you know, you have the Red Sox fans putting putting things on the graves. Yeah. Right. It's just oh, amazing. So well uh, Verducci,
1: who's a neutral observer, says right. he does not know of any world championship in any sport that meant more to that hometown team than, than that. I mean, you'll see it when the Cubs eventually right. win the World Series. Is that but, the 11th inning, I you, guess? Well, <laughs> you know, this is the thing. Uh, you know, you say you don't do sequels, and, and we yeah. don't. Right. And this is just a continuation, because if you're a chronological narrative filmmakers, as we are... The game didn't end, right. Right. As, as the strike of '94 right. suggested to right. us. Right. When we finished in '92, we we had a exactly. wonderful elegiac, uh, right. uh, extra innings chapter within the ninth right. inning, <laughs> and we sent it off into you know outer space in the future, right. and it was right. great. But stuff's going on. And, and while we're finishing this up, Armando Galarraga, he's definitely the opening of the next one with right. the perfect game taken away. Right. He's the prologue that propels you into what we hope are you know the dynamic resurgence of Steven Strasburg after Tommy John surgery. Sure. The Giants winning <laughs> the World Series. Yes. The Cubs winning the World <laughs> Series. You know, all of these great things that would then also probably be reflective of where we were I'm in, sure. in, in the next 10 or 15 years uh, in the large larger country that we also think baseball always mirrors
0: right and so we will have extra innings which i think which i hope we do because as a baseball fan i hope we do it i did want to get to this question i think which is hard for uh historical filmmakers is that and can you touch on it just briefly uh if i remember when we were in los angeles of how y- y- there's yeah. it's no set rule but you can't past history you can't look forward and you can't you can't predict and so how is it that you close out something that is ongoing without saying you know this is what's going to happen we have this problem with all
1: of our films that Mm -hmm. come up to the present like jazz where we had to disengage our hard and fast narrative and and go into a more uh it's like being it's like turning into a glider rather than just an airplane that you can direct. You had to be impressionistic at the end. And here we were taking something that was within the purview of our 25 years and presuming to be able to talk about what was going on. For us... Good history always means that you sit there and watch thinking it might not turn out the way you know it did. That, for example, you would go into Ford's Theater and this time Booth's the, – the door to the box, the presidential right. box would be locked and Booth couldn't shoot the president. You know it turned out that way, but good history would do that. So if you could apply that to this modern era, it was – we do know now with more jaundiced uh, views what happened in the home run chase of 98 – but we didn't want to, to quote Barry Bonds, take away people's joy, you know. Right. Uh, in in this way, we wanted to be able to remember and recall what we all felt like when we were going. Did he hit one? Did Sammy get one? Did Mark hit one? What was it like? And at the same time, sow the seeds of a more complicated dynamic that was going on. To emphasize the Willstein story and how he got the messenger right. was murdered. To talk just innocently at the end of the whole chase, where the New York Times is quoting that. That Home Run Chase was like a large dose of Prozac for a nation depressed by developments in the capital, meaning uh, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And you're going, Prozac, funny choice of words at the time. (laughs) But that's exactly what a pharmacological culture could say is that you might need these extra added things to get by. And so I think for us as filmmakers, we're constantly – As I know, as we were shaving down these things, not just for length and and, and connectability, but also we'd pull out a fuel rod. we we dangle a phrase that would say uh, about McGuire's injuries in 97, a possible indication of steroid use. Mm -hmm. And we just found that was going a little bit too far. Let's just tell the story and see it the way we saw it then, and then later on in retrospect – we can tie the threads together. It did get
2: more... I mean, you know, 98 in the context of this uh, two-part series is actually long-go history. We had to bring it up to 2009, 2010 even. And when, as we got closer to the present, we were working on the film while things were happening that would actually be part of the story. You know, the, the Mitchell Report came out while we were writing the script. Right. So, you know, wow. we had basically sit and watch all the press conferences you know, while they were happening and figure out what are we going to say in our film about this thing that just new chapter. Right. right, you know? right. And, and that was going on and McGuire confessed. Maguire. Confessing. And, uh-huh. um, we were Ramirez, done with editing yeah. right? getting yeah, yeah. busted, A-Rod all these things happened while we were actually working on the film so it was we, I think dealing with 98 was one big challenge and then dealing with things that were happening while the film was being made really was, um, <laughs> I don't know, gave us a little bit of vertigo but all we can say is that the film represents our perspective of today today Right. You know, and 20 years from now, somebody will take a probably a very different perspective, and that's what history actually is: is the way the present looks at the past, even if the past is last week, which in some cases for us it was. So. You know it was a challenge. It was really fun for us because we 've never had a challenge like that i 've never been working on a film where you 're watching TV or reading the paper that 's going to affect what you 're going to say in your film once in a while. you know maybe a letter from Thomas Jefferson would come out or something like that, <laughs> right. that he would some long lost thing would be discovered. but for the most part, other subjects were safely in the past so you didn 't have it Roger kept Climates. us on our toes, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. it kept oh. us on our toes and um, the best thing that helped us was really dealing with helping us was the sports writers and people who were close to the game. Some of whom were advisors. We could call up and say, "What do you think just happened?" Right. We don't really know. We, you know, we're seeing it on the surface. We don't have the inside knowledge that some of them have. So, and, we did and our what best. do you do
0: with a, with a, a dang, two dangling dangling threads like? Well, yeah. we had to leave them open
2: ended. We just tried to find a way to describe the film. Represents, you know, it's coming out in in the fall of two thousand ten. Few, relief to us, those are not decided yet. (laughs) So, as of when the film was made, you know, we could say that. uh, Yeah, and I think we left it pretty,
1: pretty good shape, um, even anticipating Clemens's uh, legal problems. Right, Right. and Bonds. Um, And 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 Bonds, bonds, we already knew about it it was happening. So, I think it's it's pretty good, but it does suggest that you never say never to the sequels, uh, and that you have that. You yeah, have yeah. that possibility of revisiting this sport. It, it It's so beautiful. I mean, and we're still – and the thing that we still don't get to is that, you know, full extension center fielder catching the yeah. play right. or going right. climbing the wall and robbing it or Jeter's amazing play yeah, where the home. shortstop right. finds yeah. right. <laughs> himself on the other side of the first baseline flipping to Posada where a stunned Jeremy Giambi is walking into home base thinking he's got this free run and he's out at the plate. You you don't script that, and the game provides these miracles almost every single day somewhere in the games that are being played, and that's also part of what every sort of second of this uh, does. I mean, just to see a young Barry Bonds in in the Pittsburgh uniform, yeah. loving this game, yeah. and playing it with as as uh, as Keith Overman says, an unbelievable flair for the dramatic, and you'll see him you know catching just making oh, a yeah. spectacular catch yeah. and either <laughs> hamming it up on the ground like. Yeah or just flipping the balls yeah. it, it was nothing does and you just every go, day, right? who does this yeah. you know? I was surprised you didn't have the snatch catch which
0: was yes. the irritate tape just pull it like, right? yeah right. yeah you know, just the snatch uh, catch
2: one of the things I was sad we couldn't do we, we, we really talked about it but we couldn't was you know Ichiro Suzuki is a major character in the film and as of 2009 he had nine consecutive 200 hit seasons he probably is going to have another one, right. but we couldn't say. We really talked about. Should we yeah. just say he has ten? Coming out, he'll, the season's almost over. He'll probably have ten by then. And we really thought about doing it, but we thought we can't really write history before right. it when happens. Finally as blows tempting out as his right, season. exactly. Yeah. It was very tempting, but we decided 198 that was ten closes yeah, the season. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and as filmmakers, it, it, and you, when you're te- teaching this uh, or talking about this ongoing story. Uh, When you think about endings, uh, do do you have to think about sort of a non-ending or do you think about the like... You
1: know know who helped us out was Joe Torrey who in the middle of the steroid scandal where we didn't know what we knew in 2010, early 2010 when we finished the film, or 2009, but 2008 when everything was up in the air, he wished for something better and we felt that that something better had, if not fully arrived, was in the process of arriving. And that helped us. And then we realized that we could celebrate the 2009 World Series, which was, of course, another Yankee victory, but had Hideki Matsui as the MVP who played for the Yomiuri Giants. And there he is hitting a home run off Pedro Martinez, who's now in a Phillies uniform, who'd been in a Red Sox uniform, who'd been in a Expos uniform, Mm -hmm. and suddenly you felt – threads were sort of being tied up and then you and then that gives you the chance to then jump into your denouement that's that's easier the ending is people saying i love this game right. i live forever through this game because my grandchildren will understand something about me and my father who they've never met by virtue of this game which we share in common this is this is the great gift of immortality it's the reverse of seinfeld's thing about kids <laughs> right. they're here to replace us right. <laughs> they're actually here to ensure that we live forever right. <laughs> right right they are here to replace us but by doing so we live one hopes forever. And baseball is one of those guides that permits that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and and we can land it and also say more to come. You know, we, know, to-
2: we, we couldn't really – we didn't set out knowing what the ending was going to be, honestly, because of so much breaking news and whatever. So it wasn't like we set out at the beginning with the script, knowing that we had some things we thought might be the ending, but the ending was the last thing to kind of fall into place. We sort of – we had to see how it all felt. And I right. think having – Gone through all the steroids, dramas, and disappointments, and revelations, and all of that. To have people still say they care about the game means a lot more yeah. than it would otherwise. Actually. And, and is there
0: something in that? Here, as we close this up, is I mean, is there something in that about baseball? Because this is what we sort of passionate for, uh, America's yes. game, even though. You know, football is going to have the more viewers, et cetera. Is there another sport? Uh, Is there any other thing that can do it? No, no.
1: I I got in uh, from a long, long flight from the East Coast last night and climbed into bed. There's a second of the Monday Night Football games. And I watch it, and I'm a big football fan, and I really like it. But I understood something, not for the first time, but it was really sort of crystallizing me that that football is this incredible yes-no thing. Uh, yeah. he, yes, he did it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. And he did it. And I remember over the weekend um, watching a game with my son-in-law and my family. And since he'd gone to Michigan and I'd grown up in Ann Arbor, we were rooting for the Wolverines against Notre Dame. And it was just, oh, or it was only good or it was only bad. And what's so great is the moments that baseball provides you and that tolerance of some infinite middle shades of gray that actually resist that thing, that permit the conversation and reflection. As as Bob Costa said at the very opening of our first thing, that that there is room for that. And you can go as someone who just likes to dress up and look at the pretty girls or the pretty guys or to eat, you know, dad might buy me an ice cream in the seventh (laughs) inning or I'm going to just drink a beer or you're, or you're, you're keeping score with every single pitch and everything is tolerated in baseball within that. And we'll see that, you know, when we go to the stadium and any stadium. And that's what's so great about it, that it isn't just that thing that we always do. Which is, it's got to either be good or it's got to be bad. It's sometimes neither and both and in between. And you can see spectacular plays on the other team, and you know root for it. I would, I, I'm as a as a Patriots fan. I hate David Tyree for right. his against the helmet <laughs> grasp of that impossible thing that that we should have sacked Manning right. anyway, and that will live forever. Is one of the greatest plays, and and I can't appreciate that. Right. But I would certainly give a standing ovation to you know the Ichiro on the other team who Mm -hmm. snatches back the home run. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it's a beautiful game, and and I think uh, as anybody who watched the first nine innings uh, will will really see that this is an ongoing story. And as a storyteller, you've got the thread that goes through. And anybody who has not seen the first nine, I think coming in now, because this is all modern for a lot of people, you know, 94 on is all modern era for them, for a lot of people. Uh, I think this is going to prompt them to go back to the first nine. Yeah, I think and, so. And, and what I
1: like is that people who don't like baseball—we've right. been—we've been going to film mm-hmm. festivals, and I uh, just came from Telluride, and, and and a woman who said, "You know, I can't stand baseball. I don't. I, I've never understood it. I couldn't figure out what my husband is doing, but I love this because of the stories. That yeah. that what right. we try to do is say, you know, we checked our fandom at the door in some respects because. We just wanted to tell good stories, complicated human stories. And baseball provides them every single day. And this may not be where you might think American history could come from, but it's there. And this is as good a way to understand what's gone on in, our la- in the last 20 years of our country as, as, as just following the simple presidential narrative that passes for American history.
0: Right. Well, Lynn and, and Ken, I appreciate you coming in, and, and, and good luck on pitching the film. Not to use bad cliche, but just (laughs) pitched in the film and had everybody watch it.
1: Thank you you for having us. That's really fun. All right, you bet. Come back next week for more TV Talk Machine. You have just listened to the TV Talk Machine. Come back next week for more TV Talk Machine.